0: This is the Used Car Dealer Podcast.
1: Hello, Zach here, and Happy New Year 2022. We have a great guest on the podcast today, Jason Rice of Lot Pop. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a great new year.
1: Definitely and let's get started and for those of us listening talk about your background in automotive and why you started Lock pop and what you guys do
0: well I'll make it a long story short uh the it started in 1997 selling at a Ford store off the floor but then I always liked working the phone better than standing out at the point so Uh, within six months of actually working there in 97. So that would have rolled into probably 98. I actually start, we started doing internet sales. So I started selling cars off the internet in 1998 and early nineties and late nineties, early two thousands and made a cut my teeth, made a living off of just taking internet ups instead of floor ups then. And that let me other opportunities like the internet director of a large dealer group. Uh, got my feet underneath me pretty well to where I was writing articles for Dealer Magazine. I was on a board of directors for Digital Dealer to get that started in 05, 06. Um, and um, that also led me to, and I was GSM of a small used car lot and things like that. I got to do f and a little bit of everything, but most, 80, 90% of my time was spent either running internet departments or selling cars off the internet. But that led me to, with all that exposure and stuff, being introduced to a gentleman by the name of Dale Pollack, if you may have known back in 2005. Um, At that time, he had a product called Empower Auto that he was selling to dealerships. Um, He had his core team and, uh, you know, developer, his assistant, and uh, another internal guy. And I was a, First performance manager being brought on um, to help. Now within eight to 12 months of Empower Auto, which was comparing a dealer's wholesale car, how they owned it to wholesale
1: mm-hmm. and those
0: cars, they own bad to wholesale. You want to move quicker with that transition to retail data or into what you now know as the auto. So from 05, so I was at the emphasis of, of the auto. So that's, a, a again, another benefit, you know, seeing, being in the beginning of the internet and and growing in the internet portion of it and, and knowing how to, how to sell cars off the floor and the internet, and then going and joining the auto and how it trans, tr- you know, changed the industry. Um, being at the forefront of that. I was there for eight plus years. My last year, uh, there, I was a director of the Eastern region, but being in a, thousand plus dealerships. I just realized used car managers had a lot on their plate, all the metrics and things they needed to track and trend. You know, it it was kind of, at the bottom of their list because they are dealing with what was in their face. So I left Viotto in good terms thinking I can help these dealers. I can help them track and trend and do the legwork of the metrics and things they should be doing. And then I'll meet up with them every week to keep them on task. And that just grew into, you know, I was manually pulling data once a week, meeting them with once a week, And, um, you know, within three years, I started hiring another guy to see if that would work. And we were running things off of Google sheets manually. And just over the last two years, we took all that data and put it into a software. And now here we are eight years later and hundreds of dealerships and, um, you know, 20 employees. And it's just been a fun ride.
1: Wow. What a great story. And we've had Dale Pollack as well as a guest on the podcast. So, 2020 and 2021 have been surreal from an industry Mm -hmm. standpoint. What has the pandemic and the chip shortage taught you at Lot Pop, as well as like dealers about inventory management?
0: Well, obviously, as a business owner, it's kind of a curveball that, you know, all of a sudden we got to figure out how Mm to maintain our clients and stuff. But, you know, as an industry, as automotive wise, you know, it, it kind of reflected back during the recession, um, 08, 09, because again, I was with Viato and, you know, these dealers were losing their franchises, lost 50% new car sales. So um, it was a good time for Viato because used cars flourished at that time. Dealers had to make up some of these sales and became, lost their Chrysler franchise, became a used car operator and stuff. So a little bit similar than cash for clunkers came into the mix and it made wholesale values really high. And it, it, you know, similar to that, um, except for back then uh, we had plenty of cars to sell, just people couldn't afford to buy them. Uh, and, and now we, we, even on new cars, there's a lack of supply. It, it, it um, they're still at a 14 plus million, almost 15 star, or, you know, new car sales and 08, it was 10 million. So, um, but there was discipline that had to be learned and a lot of dealers within a few years kind of forgot you know we're kind of like elephants we have short memories and um you know so it was was kind of slimmer similar as that but the biggest impact to me was with lap hop the two things i wanted dealers to do is carry what they sell sell what they carry you got 100 in stock we'll sell 100 plus but i also want you to do it with gross and so we focus on the first 30 you can get gross by increasing the amount of cars you sell in the first 30 days where the profit is. So that's always been our business plan, but it was just hard to get dealers to understand that they don't have to carry 150 to sell 100, right? And they always thought they needed that cushion. So the first wave of, uh, I think there's two waves of COVID. The first one um, was the whole volume thing, all of a sudden, cars are flying off the shelf and they're selling 120 with 90 and 80 in stock. And they're like, wow, this is great. Um, And and so that dealers finally realized that's an opportunity or potential, and they could actually accomplish that. The second phase was just here recently where cars were going for high stupid money, but yet their grosses were the highest. Dealers' gross profits skyrocketed, and I do think obviously you know supply and demand and customers willing to pay more. But I do think if it goes back to first thirty dealerships, average age to sell went from thirty three days or thirty four down to 20, 22 days. They're selling them a lot quicker, and so the the, the strategies that we've taught dealers over you know a decade now have are almost a decade now. You know those strategies kind of reign true. They could see those opportunities in this short window of this COVID thing. So hopefully that continues, you know, dealers see those benefits.
1: So what were some of your observations in terms of the used car marketplace in Q4 of 2021?
0: Well, I do think there's uh, been a slowdown. Uh, I do some, I do uh, a used car. Um, I do a used car news on uh, CBT news each week. As a matter of fact, this episode this week, I was talking about this last quarter um, was a little bit tricky. Uh, I, I wholesale was still a little high, but I think again it only has to do with uh, rental companies dumping their sixty thousand mile cars and buying the new ones. Because in all, I seen. But at least in our numbers and other numbers on track and dealerships volume kind of slowed down and uh, new cars were trickling in. So they're getting some trade-ins, but their volume slowed down. Um, they were less hesitant at the lane. Um, it seemed like the, if anything was selling, again, it was a lot of the wholesalers and stuff. The other transition, I think, and it wasn't just the last quarter, but uh, and going back to the COVID question, I think uh, two other things that COVID did and, the, and, and then again, the last quarter question, one digital retailing, it forced more of that hands. I think dealers dabbled in it and trying to do everything online like the Carvanas of the world, but this kind of forced their hand to get more proactive in it. The other thing um, it did was acquiring vehicles other than the lane. So private party acquisition really picked up. So I think dealers are finding other avenues to buy cars than the lane. And so I think there was just a lot of attention of what these cars were going through at wholesale. But what we're seeing is a slowdown on retail and it, it wasn't reflecting. So there's this mismatch of going, man, I'm paying this much, but I just don't seem like I can sell it that much. And it goes back to the economy and stuff. Inflation's real high. I think customers are sick of overpaying for stuff they may or may not need. They just kind of wanted it. So I think consumers kind of backed off a bit. Because uh, they started seeing the headlines, there was this one recently released. You know, the average used car price was twenty nine thousand. Yep. And and in that article, it said that you know it's finally exceeded what a third of the country you know makes as average income. You know, so huh. um, can 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 they afford that for a used car? And if they are going to afford it, would they be better off just waiting for a new car? So I think this last quarter of this year, um, the bad thing is dealers. Don't react to it till they feel the pain. And I don't think they felt the pain yet. I, I really do think the tax season is going to be a make it or break it for the dealers going into the first quarter. Um, because if there's not a tax, strong tax season, and I personally think there might not be as one, um, I just read in Wall Street Journal. And again, part of the, my my news this week was um, the IRS is still dealing with 2020 um. um tax filings. There's like 6 million tax filing. They're still catching up <laughs> with. and think of COVID and shutdowns then. Wow. And then all these new letters that people are getting, um, anybody that got any kind of stimulus from unemployment and their child credits, they've already received those. So those numbers, they're getting letters of, one, I've seen people getting letters of how much they owe for their um, stimulus money they got. They're going to have to pay taxes on that. Two, that number and the child credit has to match up. So that's this added uh workload for the irs to match these numbers up if it don't add up it's going to get kicked and delayed and and then um so i don't know if it's going to be as strong as a tax season and on top of that with inflation and the higher pricing i think people and new cars starting to trickle in i think people are just kind of going to be hard but if it's a strong tax season then maybe we're okay and it keeps going but it, it's kind of a make it a break it for this first quarter i think
1: and looking beyond you know, the first quarter in tax season, any predictions for 2022?
0: You know, I obviously I still think wholesale is going to stay stable. I think it drops off the first quarter a bit, unless the tax season's there. Um, it Um stays strong though, because going back to rental cars, um, you know, if the rental car companies and who knows what this new, Omicron and new spike. And and, and if there's shutdowns and lack of travel, which and lack of rental cars. And so they might not be buying, but if they got to replace and replenish, um, they're not going to get any cars for a while. So they're going to continue. They're willing to pay up because they can make up their money on on, uh, renting the car out. So I think they keep that wholesale high. I do think dealers do see an opportunity for private party acquisitions. Um, I think that gets busier and better and more competitive. You'll start seeing more and more companies helping dealers accomplish that private party acquisition stuff. Um, But if everything lines up without a curveball, and you can't say that nowadays with this, I think if new car inventory continues to come in like it should and and build up a little bit, not as what it should be, but it should get better and better. I think we've hit that tipping point. Um, and I, and I think consumers are going to be sick of paying, um, uh, retail prices on these MSRP for these used cars. I think new is going to have a stronger, um, I bet it jumps back up in that 16 million range. Um, and then, um, but used, I think, takes a little bit of that hit because trade-ins are going to start coming in. Private party acquisitions um, are going to be happening. Rental cars maybe by the end of the year uh, start getting cars. So I think used is going to be the biggest trick bag because, um, again, the, the the rate that they increase just doesn't you know, make sense. And unless somebody needs it, I don't know if they get it. Stimulus probably ain't going to come in and pad it like it used to. Also, another headline was um, uh, repossessions, uh, you know, are starting to spike back up. So with the stimulus money going away, people are, you know, not being able to afford some of these payments that they're getting themselves locked into.
1: Yeah, no, a lot of good points there. And what do you think dealers are sleeping on when it comes to inventory management?
0: Um, You know, it's... I think really what it comes down to, what we're finding is is a little bit of the lead management. We're combining, you know, CRM data with the inventory data because it doesn't seem like inventory tools talk too much about leads, and CRMs don't talk too much about inventory. And mm-hmm. we're finding um, one stat that I, I threw out: sixty-two percent of the dealers' active leads are on cars that are sold. So I look, we go look at last sixty days of the leads and see how many are still active in their tool, not marked lost, not marked sold, still active. And 62% are on cars already sold. That only leaves 38% of your current leads to sell a car to today. So your CRM will, if you close 10% of those, so if you have hundred leads, there's only 38 mm-hmm. people left to sell a car to today. If you sell 10% of them, that's only four deals. So your CRM is going to say you have a 4% closing percentage on your 100 leads. In reality, and so you're going to think your process sucks or your marketing sucks. When in reality, it's the cars that are sold. You know? So we're getting yeah. a lot of leads on cars that are sold. So the missed opportunity, I think, is what are we doing with these 62%? Because if a cu- on sold cars, if a customer walked in the door on a vehicle that sold yesterday or earlier that day, we're going to slow that customer down, figure out if they're open to other makes and models or other things and try to switch them to something else. I don't think that's happening on these leads. When there's 60 plus, I have a dealer, 80% of their active leads are on cars are sold. Wow. And then the other thing is, is 47% of their active leads are on only 10% of their inventory. So if you have a hundred cars, only 10 of them get half your leads. So the other 90 cars are splitting up those 50%. So of these 90, per 90 cars that really don't have that many leads, c- could we put some of these active leads on sold cars and switch them to these cars to drive that up? So we're just exposing that kind of metrics and those kind of numbers that I think there's a huge missed opportunity on taking, uh, active leads on sold cars, switching them to other cars. Um, and, uh, you know, again, that's kind of recycling and reusing that lead into something else. And I think that's the next big opportunity for dealers.
1: So what advice do you have for your average independent dealer, They're sourcing inventory, trying to build a strategy for this marketplace?
0: Well, if I was an independent dealer, one, obviously, if you can have some kind of service department, that would be huge. Um, I do think, you know, now the average age of a car on the road is 12 years or older, I think the fact that you think of all these uh, ride shares, the Ubers and, and Lyfts, you think of all these food delivery and re, you know Walmart deliveries and uh, all these people that are uh, grocery food, I mean, people are taking their cars and delivering grocery. I think the miles, the brakes, they're going to be wearing out these cars and they're too, hard, too expensive to replace. So they're going to keep them longer. So I think having a strong uh, service department, will allow you to, um, you know, obviously gain some of that, which then allows you to maybe try to trade those people out. I also, this is totally off the cuff. If you have a service department, I wouldn't be too afraid of those late model cars. Um, Obviously very price sensitive um, and very, so you have to be very in tune. But what I'm saying is like these 18, 19, 20, even these later model cars, these uh, Altimas, raf Four, whatever, Rogues. More likely because they're higher dollars, customers are going to have to finance them. More than likely, no one's traveling very far to buy a Rogue, so it's going to be a local customer. If you do, it, if you have a good service department and you do a good service walk, you bring it back for service, right? Um, and and. So you're going to get an F&I opportunity. And then that somebody buying at 18 or 19 probably trades in a 12 or 13 that you can't buy at the lane, right? Those are the cars as a lot of independent dealers are chasing that 2014 with 80,000 or 50, you know, those are hard cars. Those are kind of the one-offs though. If I have a 2012 with 80,000 miles on it, somebody might drive two or three hours to come buy that eight, 10 grand car. Right, And you don't have an opportunity to get them for service. More than likely, they're not bringing in a trade. More than likely, they might already have, if driving three hours, their finance already lined up. So don't be too, too afraid. And I'm not telling to stock all of them, but those later model cars, if you have a service department, um, those run of the mill cars give you an opportunity for a trade, give you an opportunity for service. Um, and give you an opportunity for F&I. So I think those, uh, I, I would typically have said, stay away from late models as an independent. Um, obviously you don't want those core ones. You know, I think the Hondas and Honda certified, some of those get a little bit trickier, but the Ford, the Ford Focus, the Fusions, the Altimas, the Kias, you know, the Hondas, I think you had an opportunity to bring in some 18s, trade some 14s for them and give them in service and keep them as a local customer.
1: So what are some of the most successful dealers that you guys work with doing differently when it comes to inventory management?
0: One, top-down management, right? The GM, GSM are made a part of these decisions when we do our weekly calls with our dealers and we're trying to push them to you know, make some hard decisions. If I just have the used car manager on that call, they they typically might want to push, it, push that decision off and afraid because of their gross or their boss is telling me. But when that general manager or dealer is involved in that and, and that decision say, no, we need to do this, do it, you know, um, so one top-down management, everybody being involved in those decisions. Um, but the other thing is uh, keeping their inventory, carry what they sell and sell what they carry. You got hundred in stock, sell hundred. If you, if you got a hundred in stock and only selling 60 or 70, then bring your inventory level down to 60 or 70. Now our advice, and then if you start selling 80, then carry it back up to 80. And, and and then again, going back to this whole first 30 scenario, get, get as many cars as you can sold in the first 30 days. Um, if you can keep your inventory clean and have a good aging policy, I've always thought that you know, prior to COVID, before the last 18 months, <laughs> right. dealers were complaining about margin compression and, and gross profit. And I think the dealers that don't have an aging problem, our policy is causing that problem. I mean, if you think about a lot of times when I went to go price a car um, and I went and looked at the competitive set, the cheapest price cars in there are always the guy that had a 90, 100, 200 day old car, and he's dropped his price to get off of it. Now, if I bring in a fresh car, I either got to compete with his lower price or I got to wait until he sells it, and then my price becomes relevant. But by then, my cars are starting to age, and then I drop my price. So I think the dealerships that actively have an aging policy. Um, and if every dealer had an active aging policy of sixty days, we can all buy and sell at current market values, right? Instead of having to compete with somebody. So I think the dealers that keep their inventory lean and clean, carry what they sell, sell what they carry, are always going to be the better dealer consistently in the long term. You might miss a bubble. You might have missed that bubble when everybody was dumping their cars and you bought them cheap and you got to you know make a ton of money on them over the last. I- I'll risk m- missing that bubble. Than trying to be in it, and then all of a sudden it pops. I don't want to be that dealer caught when it pops. So the best scenario is stay lean <laughs> yeah. and clean. Think of the oh, think of the long game too. These Carvanas, these carmaxes of the world, they think of the long game. They're two, three years down the road. They're you know they're fine losing money right now. They're they're, they're gaining the market share. They're thinking long term. I think a lot of dealers think too short term. Down to, hey, the first half of the month, second half of the month. What do we do? You, know, you got five more five units <laughs> right. to hit your bonus, right? What did we do last month? You know, we're so short-term focused, What's our front and what's versus what's in the long game for us? And that goes back to a strong service turnaround, get sell somebody, even if you only make 200 bucks on that 2018 Altima, you got a trade that you're going to make money on. You do a good service walk, you get them back in the door. They take three or four years into your service department and then you sell them another car. But a lot of dealers are just wrapped up in that. Oh, the, the stimulus of oh, I only made 200 bucks on that car. I'm not thinking of the long term. So I think that's going to be a big key too.
1: So more of a technical question kind of putting my software you know founder cap on why is it hard to build inventory management software you know what are what were some of the challenges in getting lot pop the software platform to market
0: well it wasn't so much getting it to market it was, you know working out the the best practices or the metrics that really matter. I think as an inventory management, because we're i, I count ourselves as a lot management tool not an inventory management tool i'm not I'm not mm-hmm. here to, to compete with the V autos and the max digitals of NQs of the world there are already a ton of those. I'm looking at the lot so but as an inventory management tool um you're at the one of the things that I've realized over the eight years at lot Pop is that market data man is you know, I, I emailed uh, cars.com and I said, Hey, I, I bet half the cars listed online are inaccurately listed. And uh, they have a, a tool called AutoCorrect It, which, you know, basically is like a build out sheet and will show missing features on cars. And they said that 37% of what they seen, 37% of the cars were listed inaccurately, either missing trims or key features or uh, options that the car um, and transmissions. So like 22% of the car is missing transmissions. You know, I'm, I've got examples of a, a car listed. It's a truly, you could tell it's an XLT F 150. It's cloth bench seats, but it's listed as a Lariat. So as an inventory management tool, it's no fault yeah. to them. They're only as good as the data put on these sites. And that data is only as good as what the dealer puts on there. So until that data is cleansed and is accurate, uh, meaning every car is listed as a build-out sheet with every feature, it's going to be hard for that data to be that accurate. If, Like I said, if cars.com is saying 30, actually, they did a study with the 25-store dealer group. 29% of that dealer group inventory was listed wrong, and some of their stores had 50% of their inventory listed without key features, trims, and stuff like that. So I think uh, to build out an inventory management tool until that data is cleansed, that's tough. And um, again, I want to focus on what they can focus on and that's their lot and what I can control there and then use as my first point of reference and then use the market data. And, and, you know, as the second point of reference, just because again, in order to trust the market data, I got to trust the guy down the streets doing his job. And is he even as a great operator, so I've talked to a ton of great operators. Every one of them will tell them they could do they could do a better job than what they're doing. <laughs> right. So imagine what this crappy you know dealer is doing to that. So that's the hard part. I think is just having having that cleansed up to make it as accurate as it can be. To just if, if that's the only area you're going to make your decision based off of.
1: So lastly, Jason, to kind of close things out, what's coming down the pipeline from the Lot Pop team?
0: like I said, you know the inventory part we've we've been running pretty good for the last eight nine years. We've helped the dealers on the internet lead management over those eight, nine years also because of our background, but that was a lot on Google sheets, and we're just starting to dabble some of this internet information in or those two stats I gave you about the uh, you know sixty two percent unsold. And that kind of blew my mind, you know, running internet departments for years, closing percentage, leads to appointment ratio, all those were important metrics to gauge lead providers and my my performance on my team. But when I look at that data now, I'm like, I don't know if I trust that metric anymore. So we're going to be exposing more and more of um, these metrics when you combine the two. So, you know, we're going into NADA um, and I'm hoping to have a lot more of this um, integration between lead management and car management, because we do that physically every day on the lot. We're making sure our cars are good and our customers are taken care of. But digitally, that's kind of tough. We're in one system, to do one thing, one system, to do another. But when you combine it, these metrics are, I think we're. I'm going to have a quite a bit of eye-opening stuff when we start really digging into some of that data.
1: That's awesome. And Jason, really appreciate you joining the podcast today. It's been a great episode. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much, thanks for the opportunity.